0: He's blonde and bitchin'. She's sporty and sassy. Together, they're perfectly imperfect. It's Jesse and Jenna's Messy Podcast.
1: Cheers!
2: Okay, well, our guest today is Violet Ben. She is a freelance writer. She writes for the Metro. She also runs the website Sex, Death, and Rock and Roll. She's also a fellow Chihuahua parent and author who focuses on writing about sex throughout history and recently wrote the book called Sex and Sexuality in Victoria, Britain. Peek beneath the bedsheets of 19th century Britain in this affectionate, informative, and fascinating look at sex and sexuality during the reign of Queen Victoria, OMG. Violet's next book, The Vampire in Popular Culture, comes out February 2021. Here to talk to us all about her fascinating career is the one and only Violet Ben.
1: You should have said Metro, metro UK, right. it makes us sound bigger.
2: I wasn't yeah. sure if it was just UK, <laughs> or if she was worldwide. <laughs> but Violet, you are based in the UK. Hello, cheerio, is that what we say?
0: Uh, not round here, but you all like to think we do. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one thing I love about your accent is you could call me all the most horrible names in the world and I would sit there smiling because it still sounds so charming. We have t- we are
0: t- terrible potty mouths, but we do it incredibly politely.
1: <laughs> right. Well,
2: you can you can swear all you want on this show. Oh, that's a relief. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where are you in the UK, Violet?
0: I'm in Shrewsbury. Um, it's in Shropshire, so in the middle near the Welsh border. Oh. oh, Welsh is a very interesting language. Do you speak Welsh? No, I've tried for years. My family's Welsh. Can't speak a word of it um it's it's too many consonants
1: it is it is what i just sit there and i'm i, I there's no way i could even pick up commonalities within that language it's it, it, i love it
0: <laughs> no, there isn't any i can pronounce most of it i can't understand any of it
2: <laughs> so do we sound like we have accents to you violet of course
0: oh my gosh yes <laughs> i love it's- that because really, like, really, I don't have an accent. Really you have strong an accent, accents. Yeah, yeah, really strong accents. Oh,
2: geez. Well, let us know if you can't understand anything we say <laughs> and we'll try to drink less <laughs> wine or something.
1: Now, I came across you because I was just looking at articles. Um, I was actually interested in doing an episode about electrostimulation. Right. And so I came across an article you wrote for the Metro UK a few years ago. And so I was like, okay, she sounds like a really cool, like, I love the way it was written. She likes to try the things she's writing about if she can. And I was so interested. So I reached out with you or reached out to you with that in mind initially. And then I started digging more and digging more. And I went, wait a second. There's a lot we can talk about.
0: There's a lot going on. Yeah.
1: Right. So you've tried a lot of interesting things. What was it? Electrostimulation. Um, you know
2: the one I'm excited about? The sphincter relaxing lube? Are you kidding me? <laughs> As a gay man, I've never heard of this. What, yeah. Can you explain of that? What does it do? Does it, I mean, hopefully it doesn't gape it too much and everything falls out. Like, that could get messy, Barla. You,
0: you'd, you'd have to you'd get through a lot of pants, wouldn't you? Um <laughs> You'd have to, you'd walk carefully. No, there, there's a lot of those around now. That, um, and it, it's usually herbal um, and it literally is a muscle relaxant. So, and, and also the ones you do need to be aware of is an awful lot of them have numbing ingredients in them and they're not generally a good idea. Everyone goes for those because it makes life easy, obviously. Um, but if things are numb, you don't know if it's going wrong. You know, you need to know. Pain's there for a reason you know, and if something hurts, you need to, so, all right, things can hurt in a good way, but you know, if they're not hurting, in, yeah. if it's hurting in a bad way, you need to know about it. So some of these, um, lubes have, um, herbal ingredients. I mean, it's, it's a long time since I've written about those, so I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was um, called Jojo Bar, Yo-Yo Bar. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. There's a, there's a company I do a lot of stuff for now called Orgy, who are, um, Brazilian but work out of Portugal and they do um, lubes and body massages and things like that with like hemp and things like that in it and some of those have a similar sort of effect they do stuff like that Um, and so it can be done with all natural ingredients you know and and if you want to try those sort of things and do usually it's because it's a thicker lube and it's glupier and it stays Nobody wants their lube to run dry when they're mid act, do they? I was mm-hmm. doing hand gestures there. Did you see? <laughs> We're
2: appreciated. Yeah, no, well, yeah. One more reason people should watch us on YouTube and not just listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, Violet, how would you describe yourself? Like, what is your job title? Because I imagine a lot of horny young people listening to this or watching you might think, my God, I want to do that when I grow up. Test sex toys, write about sex and history or history,
0: <laughs> how did you yeah. uh,
2: f- fall into this sort of career?
0: Um, I used to write erotica. I, I've been a writer for most of my life, I'm 50 now. And um, I've written a long time for for a lot of people. And I was asked by a friend who knew a publisher, who was just after the Fifty Shades sort of thing started and, and a lot of publishers wanted to get in on it. And I was asked if I wanted to give it a go at writing erotica. Um, so I decided to do it as a challenge and and actually turned out to be okay at it. It did quite well. Um, and that sort of gave me an in on the business of, you know, talking about anything and and because i had been published, I could prove that I could do it. So, um, I got on to writing about, uh, about just about everything really. And when I started with Metro, I pitched them and they said, well, what would you write about? Um, and I gave them a list of things. I think it became very clear very quickly that, um, it's not so much I don't have filters, I mean, I'll talk about anything, you know, to anybody because I don't see any shame in it, but I'm not embarrassed by very much. So, and that's a help. massive advantage, you know, because people shouldn't be embarrassed, but a lot of people are. And if you've got somebody who can talk straightforwardly about these things, with, you know, without looking a bit pink in the face and worrying about it, then all the better. So it, it kind of rolled out from there. Um, and I, cause I also do some work with the adult retail industry, you know, some product development and I work as an account manager for a wholesale company and and things like that. But mainly I'm a writer. These, these days um, I write, I write history books. Um, I wrote for Metro for three years. Um, So I'm a journalist and writer generally, but yeah, it's an interesting one. And the only, I don't know how to get into it because I did it entirely by accident. Oh, oh, how did it happen by accident? What? How did, how did which bit happen? My entire life happens by accident <laughs> in It's a running joke that my life should be a sitcom because nothing happens intentionally. You know, it just one thing goes off from another thing and then somebody says, oh, you've written about a sex thing for the Metro. Then somebody else at Metro says, oh, we've got this amazing sex toy and somebody needs to write about it. Would you do it? And then quite rapidly it became obvious that they could stick anything in front of me and I'd still write about it.
2: In front of you or in you and you'll
0: write about it. Both sometimes. <laughs> Both sometimes. I mean, the the, Sib- the sibian was the, the, the monster. Um, What's one. that? Have you have you never seen a sibian? I'm, I'm, it sounds large and wide. It's a, it's, a, it's a yeah. Depends which attachment you put on it. Um, it's a it's a ride on sex machine. Oh, Oh, yes, of They still have those. I always thought that was something like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They do really well. Yeah, there's a lot of them. You don't see them out often because they're incredibly expensive pieces of kit, but they are, for people who are dedicated to the cause, you know, they're an amazing thing. So, yeah, courier turned up with one. And, um... No, all the the things that you've tried and you
1: said you're not... You don't get embarrassed easily. No. Was there anything that did, you know, make you blush a little? The alien eggs were interesting. Alien eggs. Yes, we need to, we need to, because Jesse's like big on UFOs, big
0: on aliens, yeah. so. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I'm at a different desk and I haven't got it with me, but there is, um, I've got a silicon dildo called Brogoth, which is like an alien dildo. And it's not ovipositor, so it inserts jelly eggs into you. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. It, it's um, hardware, something like that. I can't remember the name of the company that did it for Pearl Par- Hardware, something like. That. They're an American company, and they sent me one. This was this was for Metro, um, and they sent me one because I said, "Yeah, I'll give it a go." Alien eggs, great. What I didn't realise was you have to make your own eggs. And what are these but, eggs made out of? Like, at first of all, well, I'm confused about what a alien. Yeah, well, egg I wondered that. that. Like. I wondered that until it turned up with a packet of sachets of beef gelatin. Beef? Everything smelled of pork pies for days, honestly. Um, So (laughs) it came with a load of sachets of beef gelatin and an egg mould. So before you can get sort of sexy with Brogoth, you had to boil a pan of gelatin, make a load of eggs, let them set overnight without the kids wanting to know what you're doing and the dog eating the eggs and this (laughs) sort of thing. And then you, you loop up the eggs, and push them into Brogoth, and you know.
1: So does, it, does the alien penis look different than a human penis?
0: Oh, I wish I'd have thought this ahead, I could have gone and got it, it's only upstairs. It, um, or is it like a lotus that like opens? No, 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 it's, it's, it, it's sort of this shape, like shape, but it's, it looks like a penis, but it's green, because aliens have to be green. Right. Um, <laughs> And because it's silica, and it stretches. So it has got. It comes with an inserter that looks a little bit like a plunger. And you push the eggs up into it, and they pop in. And then you're supposed to sort of have fun time with it and squeeze it, and it pops the eggs out into you while you're, you know. So it's kind of like a role-play thing, too, I would assume. By yourself. <laughs> it would probably be more fun role-play. I was on my own, so it was a bit weird, because you can't really talk to yourself about the aliens when you're you know, you're wriggling around trying to hold on to eggs that are rolling across the bed and trying to melt on the face, sort of
1: I'm also take. confused why they picked the beef gelatin and not like, you know, raspberry.
0: <laughs> because, no, there is a good reason for that. You can't use um, fruit jellies in these things. You shouldn't put anything like that internally because it imbalances your yeast. There's a lot of sugar in it. So it's actually health reasons. I don't know why beef gelatin is safer than sugar. I don't know. No. Uh, but presumably it, it just doesn't have that imbalancing effect. But yeah, don't put jelly in your foof.
2: So, <laughs> good advice from Violet Ben. What does it feel like when you actually insert the eggs? Because I'm getting visuals of, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's jade eggs that you're supposed to put up your ho-ha and like- Those are to like exercise right. your kegel, but- so These I imagine are much bigger, like the size of an actual oh, hard boiled right. egg. <laughs> the
0: sort of size of a hen's egg. Firstly, jade eggs, really bad idea. It's porous. It's porous; it'll absorb bacteria. Really bad idea. Don't do it. Do okay. it, with any, You know, um, but um, no, they're about sort of hen's egg size, duck egg maybe, just just oh. egg sized. So That's more-
1: interesting. I thought they were going to be like little, small pellet sized.
0: No, 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 no. They're oh. egg sized. Okay, like an egg. I'm getting a different visual now. <laughs> hey, uh, they they look. You make them in, in the molds that you make, You would make sweet chocolate eggs in, so oh.
1: you know, to show I'm part Japanese, because all I could think was egg roe, like salmon eggs, or <laughs> no, way bigger
2: than
0: nice. that. way bigger than roe.
2: So um, you use the chocolate egg molds, and a few months later, Happy Easter, kids, go make chocolate eggs.
0: <laughs> those oh egg God. molds have, have stayed in my drawer ever since because I'm not quite, I can't quite look them in the eye. So we've right. <laughs> it, just sat there. But so yeah, were- I, go on. Would you recommend
2: the egg experience? Did it feel good? Do you good? know what?
0: I really would. I really would because it's ridiculous fun. It's the weirdest sensation ever um, because it kind of feels like you're giving birth to Jello. Um, because obviously it starts to melt. It hits body temperature and it starts to melt. I did learn rapidly when I had to remake it. The first lot didn't work very well because the mold didn't work. I didn't plant the mold. So the next time I got um, vegetarian stuff, so it smelt less meaty, right? So if you ever ever go at alien sex Oaks, go for the meat free option. Is my okay. advice.
1: Did you did you taste the beef egg? Did you taste <laughs> it at all? I'm just curious. Oh my god! I would just be like, hmm. Like, is I, think it can- just, I think you find
0: my hard limit there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> i would be curious i mean i would be especially it just smell like smelled so rank it smells so rank there was no i mean <laughs> i was happy to put it up but the sun don't shine but i wasn't going to put it in my mouth <laughs>
2: what did you do with it after did you give it to the dog
0: it melts oh so totally you have melts. to make sure you're on a towel
2: oh okay Always it, it, a good idea.
0: <laughs> it melts even... at body temperature so yeah no wash the towel get in the shower pretend it never happened
2: until next time <laughs> So, through yeah. all of the toys you've reviewed, Violet, is there one that you think everybody must try or should own? Maybe it's the Alien Eggs. What's your favorite?
0: No, I think if anyone's going to own one thing ever, a massage wand.
1: Oh, the classic! You are not the first guest to say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitachi style, and we've got Doxy in the UK is the biggest one, but the Hitachi style wand because they can be you can use them on men and women you know they're still so therefore they work for pretty much everybody you can adjust what you're doing with it yeah they, they they work for pretty much everybody so yeah they're they're a good one
2: you know i've never tried one and i recently heard from from a past guest that a lot of men are big fans too so yeah. i might have to invest in one of those you have one i can use it later no i don't have one <laughs>
1: I just remember like my mom having a massage wand back in the day. You know? Yeah,
0: that's what she told you. They all all everyone's mom had a massage wand. Yeah. Yeah, right. a lot
2: of sore necks in the nineties. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're brilliant for sore necks. Honestly. Yeah. Anyone that's got sort of stock like I have, everyone's at some point sits with a massage wand on their neck. Amazing things. See multi purpose. Multipurpose. Multi-purpose? Yeah. multipurpose.
2: Bang for your buck and your vagina. There you go. Right? <laughs> okay. Uh what what so um you write a lot of, well, we kind of already asked this about being open about sex and relationships. You've always been interested in writing about
0: them. Yeah.
2: And so you just started doing it professionally. You found a way to make money. Smart woman.
0: Well, why not? You know, I mean, it's something I'm enthusiastic about personally, as well as academically. You know, um, I'm fascinated by people's private lives and not necessarily modern because we're not doing anything different that people have been doing since people first walked out of the caves, you know, it's everybody's been having sex since humanity started. And what's interesting is however far back you go, they're all doing it much the same as we're doing it now. We think we've invented an awful lot of stuff and we haven't. We've just refined things that have been going on for years, you know, and centuries. So it's fascinating because it's that and death, which is my, my thing, sex and death are the things that have affected all of us, whether you do it or not. You know, you're a product of sex in some way, even if it's in a petri dish, it's that thing. Um, And we're all going to die. So, you know, you can't get away from it. Doesn't matter how prudish you are, sex is part of your life.
1: Now, sex is kind of, when it comes to the way the public views it, and I, I don't know if this might just be like a Canadian thing, too, because, you know, we're so polite and all that jazz. Um, But we've seen, you know, there's been times we can go all the way back where orgies run amok. That was part of life. And then, you know, you went back and we kind of became prudes again, talking about sex. And sex has just kind of been cyclical. Why do you think that is? Why do you think sometimes in some centuries it's okay to be open and
0: talk about it and then and others it's not usually i don't think the people themselves or the actual sexuality going on has changed at all it's all history is written by those in power so it depends Uh who are
1: the freakiest because we
0: live (laughs) in the capital
1: of canada so we know these politics are free
0: (laughs) (laughs) and this this is it so it's no different now So And this is the thing. So it's written by the people who have got the power to do so. So all we're seeing, looking back, is the view of the people that either have political or financial power or whatever. Generally, um, people, your average people, are doing the same thing that they've always done. They always are. It may be more secretive. The, The thing about the Victorians being prudish is only because suddenly things became, you know, were illegal or, or were more legalized. You know, they started clamping down on things more. So it became dangerous to write things down or admit to things. It doesn't mean they weren't doing them. Ah. They just couldn't risk recording that they were doing them. And does so, homosexuality and you, fall into that category? Absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly um, Victor times, it, the last hangings for homosexual, homosexuality in the UK were as recent as, I think it was 1835. Um, and at that point it was all done on some, it was just hearsay. That that particular case was a chap who said he'd looked through the peephole of a lodging house he was in and seen two men together and the landlord watching. One person said that, so there could have been all sorts of background, you know, arguments or, or bitchery going on there at all. Um, And on that basis, two people were hung and the the two men were hung and the Lama was transported to Australia. So it was then commuted to life sentence. I think it was a minimum 10 years hard labor. But because of that, it was perceived as being less, um, it was easier to get a conviction because it wasn't a death sentence. So more people would convict on it, which meant more and more and more men were being convicted. This This is the law that did for Oscar Wilde um, and it's the same law that ended, and you know, that ruined Alan Turing's life, um, because it was that much easier to get uh, a conviction for homosexuality, because it, all it was at that point was gross indecency, and in no way, nowhere does it specify what gross indecency is. It, again, it is in the eyes and the ears of the people in charge to decide what that means. Well, let me
2: tell you, sometimes homosexuality is still grossly indecent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you're doing it right. If you're doing it right. (laughs) Um, I love a little bit of history too. I used to be a lot more into it than I have been recently. But who is your favorite historical sex figure? Because, like, I like Anne Boleyn because, you know, she kind of used her sex to basically outwit a man who prided himself on being such a sex object.
0: Yeah. So who is
1: your favorite historical sexual figure?
0: Um, my favorite sexual figure from history? Do you know what? It's probably, and I keep coming back to the same lady whenever I'm asked this question, it's a lady called Hannah Cullick. Um, She was a, a servant girl in big houses. She actually lived less than 10 miles from my house. I go to a grave occasionally. Um, and she... In the late 1800s, she went with her mistress from Shropshire to move to London. And when she went to London, she met um, a gentleman called Arthur Mumby. And that gentleman in the old fashioned sense, you know, he was quite wealthy and whatever. She met this chap called Arthur Mumby and Arthur loved uh, working class women. He liked their hard hands he's and he definitely had a thing you know for it he used to stop ladies in the street in london and ask to see their rough hands and things like this hannah um loved this there is endless um he took photographs of her he used to like her getting up the chimneys and getting covered in soot um she used to like licking his boots she said she could tell where he'd walked all day by the taste of his boots he was oh sorry she wasn't particularly picky she would lick anybody's boots and say where they'd be and she liked licking boots but she had a such a sense of self Arthur wanted to marry her and Hannah refused because her place in life as far as she was concerned was was as a in the working class and eventually he did persuade her to marry him but she wouldn't admit it publicly ever his family only ever found out where on his deathbed t- about nine years after she died um and yeah and then occasionally they'd reverse it and she'd carry him round, she'd baby him because he liked being infantilized so she'd carry her big broad working class shoulders and she'd carry him round. but there's photos of her i've got a framed photo of her in this house um dressed as a man dressed as a chimney sweep you know um and she was amazing and she just really knew her own mind the reason we know so much is because she wrote a diary he encouraged her because he liked knowing what she thought about it all And very rare for any woman in those days, particularly a working class woman, she wrote a diary every single day reporting what she'd done because he liked reading it. So we've got an amazing record of of what Hannah did with her life. Wow. And, and,
1: you know, even though Lickin' Boots is involved, and that's definitely just not something I'm into these days. But it's a very, it's very romantic. These yeah, these yeah. days. I'm not going to say. Because <laughs> of the being, coronavirus. You never know in the future, <laughs> you know. The future holds a mystery. But it's almost a very romantic story, too, about his, like, unconditional love for her. It didn't they matter They what adored
0: each other. Yeah, they adored yeah. each other, you know. And, and she writes about, about him in, with such affectionate terms, you know um she didn't like him he wanted her to be a lady he wanted to do the best he could for her and he bought her dresses and wanted to go to a party I think she did it once and said she would never humiliate herself again she didn't feel it was her place in life and she and also she kept her own place to live as well she absolutely adored him but she lived separately she traveled to him she used to travel on the London Underground it only just opened and for a solo woman to go across the Underground to go meet him but they, they adored each other and clearly did, nobody did it for money or whatever, because they kept it secret and she refused to acknowledge it all her life. But yeah, yeah, an amazing, amazing couple.
1: Sounds like dating in 2020, I've dated a lot of guys who refused to admit they were dating me too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> start licking their boots. Okay.
1: Oh, we're just friends. I didn't think it was that serious.
2: <laughs> so the book we're talking about, again, is called Sex and Sexuality in Victoria, Victorian Britain by Violet Fenn. And in the description of the book, it says this book explores bizarre and often entertaining solutions to the challenges associated with maintaining a healthy sex life back then. So what is one of the bizarre or entertaining things people did to try to maintain a healthy sex life?
0: The one that I always like that tickles me is that um, Victorians were very into their pseudosciences because... It was sort of um, an age of almost enlightenment, I suppose, but that's a pretentious way of putting it. You were coming into the second sort of industrial revolution and things were modernising and it was getting towards more what we would consider a modern world. So people thought they were scientific and they'd get sucked into things that weren't very scientific at all. You know, you look at Arthur Conan Doyle and his fairies in the Cottingley Gardens. You really believed they were there. There There's a lot of um, spirituality and stuff like this. They got very into the idea that a phrenology of bumps on heads, so you could read heads um, and to the point where Queen Victoria and Prince Albert had their son Bertie, who became King Edward, um, had him checked out and was t- was, were informed in no uncertain terms he was terribly lacking and his intelligence and his, um, what he would be able to do with his life, which disappointed them hugely. But he got to the point where women um, would want to check their potential suitors' heads before they would even walk out with them. There's a, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a bump at the back of your head, right at the back, It's everyone's feeling it. And I, I don't even know which one it is. I think it's at the very base of your skull before it goes to your spine. Basically, if you've got um, a medium sized lump, you're healthy sexually, if it's small, you're probably, if you're a man, you probably, you know, you're gonna struggle to get it up. You're a female, you've got no libido. If, if you've got a big lump at the back of your head, then you're obscene.
2: <laughs> how do you know, touch mine, Jesse? Jesse has a small bump. How, yeah, how do you know if it's small or medium? I
0: think, my argument is you just stroke a lot of heads and get some comparison. Uh. <laughs> you know, you can easily be free and easy with the phrenology, don't you? Right?
2: Interesting. So examine the heads. We examine heads too these days, just not the ones on top, (laughs) hey. (laughs) Um, So your upcoming book, The Vampire in Popular Culture, what's that about?
0: Um, Basically, I've always been fascinated by vampires, um, but it ties in with the other stuff that I write. I I wanted to know why we're fascinated with vampires. So, you know, because they started out, they've existed in history and mythology since, um, you know, sort of Greek Roman pre, pre that, you know, there's stories of what we would recognize as vampires, but they're not very glamorous. They're, you know, undead things that, that come back to life and suck blood and look quite ugly while they're doing it. And um, the modern, we consider a modern vampire is actually a sort of 19th century vampire, you know, the, the top hat and the very elegant cape and whatever, that didn't really exist until 1819 when Polidori wrote the vampire. Um, and he made this a very elegant chap, Lord Riven, um, clearly based on Byron. He was Byron's physician. Um, and that sort of changed the idea of the vampire. So without that, you wouldn't have Dracula and whatever, because that was 1897. So that changed it. Now, And since then, we've all sort of stuck with that template a lot of the time for vampires. You know, you do get modern versions, obviously. But the default vampire for men or women is is quite... 1800s you know it's glamorous outfits it's very gothic and it's that thing of the pain and pleasure and, and it's it's always got erotic sexual overtones all of them you know Sheridan Le Fanu wrote Carmilla in I won't say 1872 but I'm probably wrong um, which was a clearly lesbian vampire uh, so in that way he wrote a story that he wouldn't be able to write as a fiction even you know because it, it's a fantasy by the way that, that lesbianism wasn't the the our myth is that lesbianism was never made illegal because Queen Victoria didn't believe in it. Um, it is actually the fact that the politicians at the time in this country, at least, didn't want to draw women's attention to it because they said it might give them ideas. No, so, they wow. were scared to lose the women. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why lesbian has never been made illegal in the hope that women it wouldn't occur to women otherwise. Um, so right. this is so this is why it's, it's always been sexual. So I, I wanted to go through how it's been portrayed in in culture and when i say popular culture i mean history books i've got some books going back to 1200 um and all the way through to the 1800s to you know the hammer which are the big cliche proper best vampires ever you know christopher lee is just the epitome of of dracula um but why you know why we um always go for that pain of a pleasure and erotica and why it is we we want to get bitten almost, you know, it's a, and, it's a, and I spoke to a um, psychoanalyst about it. it. It's a lot to do with some fairly obvious almost Freudian penetration and blood transfer and, and, you know, things like this. But and that, that sense of otherness. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I'm just an overgrown goth, even at 50, you know, and some of us get into that and then realise that it feels comfortable because it's a sense of other. So I also spoke to a lot of people who um, are in, into the goth scene and musicians and people like that and why they, you know, why this sort of thing is appealing. But it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really long and intriguing history and was the worst subject for me to ever pick for a book because I was never going to be happy with it. There's just too much to write. Well,
2: it never ends. And I, that's what I was thinking while you're talking about these historical vampires, even in our generation. We had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then the generation younger than us—they had the Twilight series. And it seems every generation has their own re- reiteration of vampires, and everybody loves it. True Blood. It's, ne-
0: it's never oh, going to end. True Blood. I have all oh, vampires uh, ever. Uh, uh, Ooh, uh, uh,
1: those oh, True Blood what? books, and then the show—I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. You can and the, the latest quite run it, it. The BBC did an adaptation of Dracula um, early this year, and that's amazing. I mean, that is hot as fuck.
1: I think um, there's something very sexy uh, about immortality as well, yeah, and is. and about the fact of like him. It's almost and maybe this is because I'm so desperately single these days, <laughs> but you know the fact of like almost living your life with that person who turned you immortal. There's something yeah. like I think of even like Twilight, like this is so silly, but you know, Twilight, there's something so attractive about Edward and Bella making that commitment to
0: live it's the a rest of the relationship in history. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, I have a lot to say about Twilight. We probably better not start there. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I love it. I've got every book. I've got all the DVDs, watched all the movies. Absolutely love it. It's sparkly entertainment. It's amazing. The moral background to it is appalling. Um, it's coercive, it's abusive, it's really bad. Um, however, but, but that is to do with the background of, of religion that's overwritten by, by the author and things like that. It's not to do with the actual mythology. I, I get, totally get that, the appeal of it. Obviously, you know, I mean, I love the stories. Um, I'm currently reading Midnight Sun, which is the, the book that's done from Edward's perspective. Right. It's even, it's even worse, but anyway, um, but that's the thing. Everyone thinks but this is what became interesting and what came out more and more as I talked to people for this book. Um, the idea of immortality is amazing. What, but if you had to do that forever, that's awful. It's the worst yeah. thing you can inflict on anybody. You know, you've got no end. The point of life is that we die. I think it's Kafka, might have been, that said that. Um, is that it ends, you know. And because we've got a finite resource and that's what gives us our impetus to do something with it. If you could just do that next century, I'd sit on my ass watching Netflix all day.
2: Yeah, but I mean, if you could have sparkly skin like Edward, wouldn't it be (laughs) worth it? Just
1: That's let me sparkle
0: in the sun. Yeah. Just let me Would you sparkle, be sparkle And you notice that actually sometimes he goes out in the sun like, there's no sparkling going on, is there? It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's
2: a deep <laughs> sparkle. Well, you um, mentioned Netflix, and it made me think of a movie that Jenna was recently talking about. I can't think of the name, but you know the one where the girl gets kidnapped and she has a year to Oh, 365
1: on. days. Have no, you seen that? I don't know. So, I was going to ask you about this, but you haven't watched it, unfortunately, because... Just like Fifty Shades of Grey got a lot of backlash from that community about consent and about portraying, you know, the BDSM world in a different light. Well, 365 Days has also experienced the same sort of criticism. It is a story about a woman, and I believe it's Italian and Polish. Uh, It's an international film, but it's about a woman who's on vacation and this extremely good-looking drug dealer lord man kidnaps her and says, I'm gonna keep you hostage for three hundred and sixty five days because you're gonna fall in love with me. Right. And it doesn't take very long for her to get boning on her yacht on the yacht, you okay. know, like but you know there's a, a lot of to bone, aren't you? Yeah, there's a lot of backlash from it, similar to fifty right. shades of gray. So you know, that's put it on your must
0: watch list. Because I will, yeah. Unfortunately, I can't give you any input on that because I've not seen it, but I will but add the, it. The reason I
2: bring it up is because it seems that there's this, these things like Twilight or like this movie, where there's a very naughty sort of subtext that people shouldn't be attracted to kidnapping, rape, abuse, but we are. So we what are. do you make of that?
0: I think you've got to be realistic about it. People are attracted to anything that is wrong you know, because it's wrong. Because it's from being a little kid. There's a bit of excitement about doing something naughty. You might get caught or whatever. And that never leaves us. Um, You know, the the excitement of doing something sort of that is perceived as taboo is huge. So, and and also, of course, you know, kidnapping and whatever, you've got Stockholm syndrome and things like that, haven't you? That was it. Yeah, that's what they they were saying. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's that's what happens. Um, There are issues. I mean, even with Twilight, you know, I knock Twilight. But I love it. Because I'm a 50 year old woman and I can see the issues with it. I have an issue with it, with teenagers thinking it's marvelous and that this is a great, great template for relationships. But that's only in the same way as I have issues with people watching 50 shades and thinking that's a good template for BDSM relationships because it really isn't. So it's um,
1: more about the template of it. Not, not necessarily if you are into everything they do yeah, in 50 shades Great, there's yeah. something wrong with you.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely not at all. Oh my God, no. It's I mean, more you, about, you know, you you've got somebody you go back to twilight you've got somebody who is sitting there telling who is hot you know worth a fortune wants to do everything for you You, you're never going to drive a second-hand car again let's face it (laughs) and you know and you can have all the shoes in the world and you know they think you're the best thing ever and apparently have wasted a century for you who's not going to fall for it you know because you just would and it's cool and suddenly you've gone from the geeky girl to the cool girl you know because you can kill them if you want to um so no I get it you know and am saying 50 shades isn't it you know p- people like that sort of thing I you know there isn't much that I don't think is okay between as long as it's between consenting um adults and you know and it's not illegal or hurting anybody else that it shouldn't Who's to say what you should or shouldn't like, you know, and things like sex and death and and vampires and BDSM or whatever. They're always the sort of the dark side of things that we're most of us are brought up. That's not the norm. So most of us have got a little bit of a rebellious streak. And quite often it's the ones that have been brought up to be the quiet, beige, nice ones. Right really blow it eventually you know and they suddenly realize they're like being strung up by their feet and whipped <laughs> you know
2: haven't tried that yet Let's try. yeah free. yeah i
0: really ones are just... always
1: the freakiest
2: violet you write <laughs> you write a lot about um or not a lot but you have written about being on the autism spectrum yeah can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis and how that has affected your writing
0: um it's not made any difference whatsoever to my writing um because i was only Diagnosed at the age of 46. Wow. Now,
1: is that because it's harder to diagnose autism amongst women than men?
0: That's definitely got something to do with it. Um, Absolutely. Also, because of my age, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. When you weren't autistic, you were just a bit naughty.
2: Um,
0: (laughs) And also, I'm the sort of cliched autistic, uh, for want of a better phrase, where my intelligence level was high enough from a young age to mask everything. So I could talk, I could use the long words, I could join in with most people's situations. I still do it now, I can fit in most places. That doesn't mean I feel comfortable, but I can look like I do, because it's an early learned skill. Um, and so, um, and really, especially, particularly back then, as long as you were clever, that, that's all anyone cared about. It didn't matter, you know, you might be a little bit odd, but it didn't matter as long as you were clever and you got through and you were quiet and, you know, and didn't cause anyone too much trouble. It actually came about because my son, who is 16, now, I've got two sons, 23 and 16, but the younger one became clear early on that he was quite similar. Very, very, very clever, but would not fit into anybody else's box ever. You know, if you ask him, it could, if you said to my son, can you spell because? He'd say yes.
1: Hmm.
0: Because he's answering your question, you know, it, he right, it doesn't. Yeah. He's a smart ass, basically. He can hear me talking, so he, he won't mind me saying that. <laughs> um, but he's used to being talked about. Blessed his heart. But um, so what happened was it came clear more and more and more clear, and he needed specialist schooling because he needed a mainstream school that could cope with his high level of intellect, but behavioural issues that went with it. And the more experts I spoke to about him, the more, the more and more people were going. Well, you know, the apple hasn't fallen far from this tree you know there's something going on so in the end i um got myself assessed and uh, was told well yeah no shit you know so um so that was four years ago so i'd actually i was yeah i was 46 i've been writing professionally for 10 for probably 10 years so and i'd worked before that so um it didn't make a lot of difference it it is it's opened up my audience in that I like being able to talk to people who are autistic and maybe been told over the years that they can't do this that and the other or whatever and I can say well clearly you can because I never knew any different and just did it um I think it helps in a lot of ways I don't know whether I've just got no filters or whether it is something to do with being autistic I don't care what people think um, I don't ever want to upset people. i I'd go out of my way to be nice and kind and not nice, nice is an awful word, but to be <laughs> polite and, and just generally kind to people. But if they don't like me, that's their lookout, you know, so I, I'm not afraid and I'm certainly not embarrassed about things like talking about sex or it's human, you mm-hmm. know, so I'll talk about it because as far as I'm concerned, it is just human. So no, I think it's probably been an advantage actually. I learned
1: recently learned so much more about autism watching Netflix's Love on the Spectrum.
0: I uh, did. Have did you have you seen that? No, no, okay. I don't think we had that. No, I haven't seen it. So I, what it? It's me.
1: Yeah, it's a show, and it's a dating show with a about five different people with autism, varying various like on different parts of the spectrum.
0: Yeah,
1: and they just talk about and they they go to like relationship counseling because one of the hardest things for them is the social relationships and how to. You know, and it's just the stages and the steps that they take when they need oh, God, someone. I have
0: fucked up so many relationships without realizing what I'm doing, because I thought I was being great. And they're just thinking, who's the maniac in the corner, you know?
1: <laughs> so when you were diagnosed, what was one big thing that you could look back and go, ah, that kind of explains a little bit more?
0: Um, do you know what? I don't know that it, there was just an overwhelming sense of, oh, right. Okay. Um, I mean we, I've known for ages really I've known for ages be- because I, I don't have any filters I don't see the point in lying I'm very black and white so it kind of explains why I do that you know I I, I, um, I don't lie to people I don't I'm, I'm not wouldn't be unfaithful because I because it wouldn't occur to me to be sneaky I'd, if I wanted to go off with somebody I'd say well look actually I've had enough I'm going off because surely that make, that makes sense to me right yeah that makes sense and and I, I wouldn't even get to that point because i'd be like oh actually i think we've got an issue can we talk about it so but when so when other people in my past you know have been unfaithful or whatever i'm just horrified because why would you do that and and, and i'm sort of left here a bit like rabbit in headlights like what the fuck just happened there because it doesn't make sense to me so in some ways it, it may become so for as a bit naive sometimes and i don't think it is i think it because i'm not certainly not naive it's it's a sense of straightforwardness and it explained why I always felt a little bit off kilter. Like I didn't quite fit in. And that is with, without being rude, it's because most of the world runs on little small lies all the time. Mm. You know, not so much politics because politics is such a whole pile of bollocks that, you know, it, it's irrelevant. Um, it's, there's no point in trying to make sense of it because it's ridiculous and we can all see the bullshit. Um, but on day to day social levels and people, And people will say things and I can see that their faces say one thing and their words are saying something else. I'm like, well, why can't anyone else see this? You know? And and why are you doing this? And if I know somebody's trying to make an excuse to get out of something, I'm like, well, just tell me Why? but I don't get those little layers of the little layers of icing of politeness and lies and whatever that a lot of people do. So it was interesting to realize that's why.
1: Yeah. That was one of the first things I said to Jesse after watching love on the spectrum was I said, their honesty is Mm. so refreshing like there was so much that i wish i could plump a bunch of straight men in front of that (laughs) straight men in front of that show and go this just watch this and we're all guilty of it we're all guilty of being too afraid to hurt other people's feelings by being honest or whatnot but just that honesty to me is a gift the the no filter is a gift
0: yeah yeah and that's the thing it is it is difficult sometimes because i've i've learned that you know the hard way that you yourself you think about people because they take offense and you upset them and i don't want to upset people so i have learned to just keep my mouth shut a bit more but i'd much rather somebody did that to me in return than bullshit you know so yeah it, absolutely it, and it is i mean it's, it's refreshing for other people it's mostly confusing for us i think because we still don't know we're doing it we, we think you're the weird yeah. ones right you maybe know? we are maybe so. we are my argument is i think we're the ones who've evolved a little bit right and the rest of so you've got to catch us up because we're ahead of you. Well, I will work on that catching up.
2: Violet <laughs> Fenn, you are definitely ahead of us. Sex and Sexuality in Victorian Britain is out now and keep an eye out for the vampire in popular culture coming February, 2021. And that's not all. She's also writing a new book called The Regency. Uh, we'll have you back on to talk about that. How about that? Thank you. Violet Fenn on Twitter. And by the way, go follow her because her tweets are extremely entertaining. <laughs> Maybe it's the no filter coming through on Twitter. I don't I know I like. There's no filter, yeah.
0: There's
1: no filter on Twitter. No, which makes it the perfect medium for you.
2: <laughs> Violet Fenn, thank you so much. Have thank a nice you day. You. Cheers. Cheerio. Cheers. <laughs>
1: Cheerio.